The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Back from vacation. Although, I guess if you are a listener to this podcast, you know I didn't really get a vacation from the podcast because USC and UCLA had to go and be selfish and forced me to record an emergency episode last week. But worry not, we are back to our normal routine this week on Media Noise. Thanks so much for joining me. Danny O'Neill coming up in just a moment to talk about Draymond Green. I contend that he has already gotten boring, and the whole new media thing has already run its course. Danny and I will talk about that. Archie Shea will join me in a bit as well to talk about the late Hank the Hammer Goldberg. Now, which was he? Was he the Hammer or was he Hammer and Hank? We'll probably get into that when Archie joins me. But first, man, what a week for trolling in the world of sports media. Like, I, I don't think we have seen two more perfect examples than we saw this week. The big one, obviously, was ESPN putting a billboard for The Captain, their 10-part documentary series on Derek Jeter, which I'm sure will be just a a laugh a minute, just like Jeter himself, putting a giant billboard for it right outside of Fenway Park. Beautiful. The other one came on Tuesday after the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. Pat McAfee responded to a tweet from Peter King in a very fun way on his radio show. King was asked by a follower if he had a pick for who he thought would win the hot dog contest, and Peter King responded with something to the effect of, I never watch because in a country where one out of five people go to bed hungry, uh, a hot dog eating contest is disgusting. Okay, he's not wrong, right? Not wrong at all, but it is a a little bit of a how-dare-you kind of attitude. So Pat McAfee on Tuesday comes out swinging by donating 10,000 hot dogs, or I guess promising to donate 10,000 hot dogs as soon as he figures out the logistics, to homeless shelters across America and says, A, this is in Peter King's name, and B, I'm sure he will follow suit and do this himself very quickly. I mean, it was perfect. And both of these things harken back to the old days of Radio Wars, something that as a guy that started in rock radio, I truly miss, which was just openly ribbing um, whether when I say the competition, it could be the brand, uh, their personalities, their listeners, whatever the case may be. But, you know, is it mean spirited? Yeah, a little bit, but it's also fun. It gets attention. And in the case of Pat McAfee, he was able to make his point and also do a good thing. I think we need more well-thought-out expert trolling in order to bring back the radio wars in a way that is more creative than just, you know, I called your wife fat on air or we slashed your tires at a remote. Both of these required a lot of creativity and a lot of forethought from the people involved. And I think they deserve their kudos today. I think Danny O'Neill and I come down on different sides of Draymond Green. However... Danny, I will tell you, I was not on the I'm getting tired of this side until recently. His new media 
crusade, holding the quote-unquote old media accountable. I was not opposed to that until I started to realize, I think this is the only thing the guy can do. <laughs> you think you think that might be his one trick? He's, I, a, he's, so, he's, he's a specialist. Yeah. So I was I was thinking about this. Um, I mean, it was sometime last week while I was on a plane. I cannot remember what the impetus for this was, but it dawned on me for all the talk of oh, this is the heir apparent to Charles Barkley. I think his ceiling, broadcasting wise, I think his ceiling is more akin to Magic Johnson. <laughs> that, that's harsh. <laughs> magic, magic, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an assault and a takedown. On, magic is just sunshine and rainbows, right? Sure, like that's... he's like all things. Like he generally, he generally doesn't appre- express firm opinions. Like I feel like he just wants to talk about like his his life is being Magic Johnson, right, like Mister right. Happy. Um, I I think there's some merit to what you're saying. The, the idea that Draymond, the majority of his new media content is actually criticism of old media. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, I think that's true. And if that is the case, and if that's all he's going to have, then his ceiling is much lower than I think. Um, I, I think he has more than that, but, but we'll see. He's in a very strange spot right now in that he is, still an active player and we're seeing more active players become active media members. Greg Olson did it a couple years mm-hmm. ago. Like he was hurt and then ended up doing a uh, Fox telecast where he was the color commentator. And, and it is a different dynamic because players are generally, even when they're hostile toward their peers in the course of a game are reluctant to be that way publicly. And that, that is, that is part of the job. Like Draymond Green is going to have to criticize other basketball players for how they do if it's going to work in the media because you can't you can't just be uh, a mutual admiration society. So that is one of the things that I think Draymond's, um, I guess, just his rise in star power as a media member has begat. That I'm I'm really concerned about how long or how how much uh, runway there is for this whole new media thing, is that there seems to be a real divide now, and guys like Kendrick Perkins, who have uh, really had no trouble being critical of current players, have really worked on the craft, seem to be ostracized from this group of, you know, Draymond Green, CJ McCollum, Patrick Beverly, these guys that are still active and view whatever broadcasting contributions they have as the only valid broadcasting contributions. But as hosts, isn't that a great trait? Like as if you're looking at them to feel that they, they've got the only way of doing it. I mean, Danny, if, if I could cut you off here, is it a great trait if they're not good? Oh, I think you don't think Draymond Green or CJ McCollum or Patrick Beverly are good. I think they're fine. Because I think that they do bring a perspective to it that is unique, and I don't mind the fact that they're that Draymond says you can only criticize basketball by talking about how the game is played. Like you, you have to, you have to root because basically Draymond's point is I don't want to hear Skip Bayless saying. 
Steph Curry's legacy was diminished last night if he can't tell me why Steph Curry failed from a basketball standpoint. So and, I, and I, I understand that point of view. And, and if Draymond Green could, say, have a second pitch in his arsenal, I would be all with you. I, I think that when I hear that, what I hear is uh, don't talk to me unless you've had your hand in the dirt. And to me, that is really far away from being an entertaining uh, character on on television, radio, whatever. And that's really important. And I wonder if this new media group gets that. I think that what will determine whether the approach is full or not is whether Draymond Green can criticize someone else who puts their hand in the dirt. I don't think it will depend on his ability to cooperate and play the role of former player as it's currently played mm-hmm. in, in media, right? Like I don't think he needs to ever, if I hosted or was a, a media figure that he was interacting with, I don't think he ever needs to give my opinion credence. I think that what will determine whether he's successful is does he use his toolbox that he's described of, hey, we talk about the game of basketball and basketball is beautiful to explain why someone like Carl Anthony Towns, who he is fairly and has been kind of critical of, can he use that toolbox to criticize another player? Can, can he do that? That's what I think will determine it because when he does that, he's going to piss off that player and then he's going to have a different foil. Draymond, his... His brand, I believe, is going to be fueled by conflict. And that can work. Skip Bayless's brand is fueled by conflict. Sure. That's what it's based upon. And, and I don't think it's whether or not Draymond will develop a more inclusive sort of sense of what media can be. I think it's going to be, does he use his own perspective? Does he use what he's describing as his framework? to criticize other people. That's what I think will determine whether or not. And, and I don't know, because for the most part, what he does is he uses his, his framework to criticize people who don't have the expertise he does. And look, if I was a program director, I think what Draymond Green is saying, like his thought process, he would be a terrible program director. I think, he'd be a good, I think he is a good host because he's got a very firm sense of what matters to him. I think I think he's got the tools to get there. I, I will give you that. I, I guess it, let's wrap up here because this is something that I think the whole new media thing outside of Draymond, I, I wonder how sustainable it is because Draymond has developed, even in his basketball career, that adversarial everything is about conflict personality. I, I don't know that it works for Patrick Beverly and CJ McCollum as media personalities. Yeah, I'm, I'm less... I'm less convinced of Beverly. I like CJ McCollum. I really like JJ Redick. Like I, of those guys, I I think that McCollum and and Redick specifically can can both pay it off. Beverly was just grinding an axe. Sure, like that's Beverly's impact was he doesn't like Chris Paul, and so he <laughs> he used his, right. like right like it was a vendetta. And vendettas are not a sustainable media approach. Hank Goldberg, undeniably a legend of South Florida sports radio, passed away on the 4th of July. Arky Shea is joining me now. Arky, I think that most people outside of South Florida, most of us were first exposed to the guy on ESPN. You are a sports gambling kind of man. Was was Hank Goldberg sort of your first national 
I guess, mainstream media exposure to someone talking about gambling on TV? I think you would have to say he was for for me at least for my for my generation. I Brent Musburger, you know, I didn't know to a long time for a long time that Brent Musburger was doing that. You are looking live references to sort of uh, uh, toss uh, toss little nods and winks out, out to the gambling community. It was probably Hank Goldberg, and it was vastly because of horse racing because you would see him right. at these uh, these these uh, these horse racing parks and these tracks, and he would just sort of give you these really fast detailed descriptions of these horses it's something I, I'd never sort of got anywhere else. And that was the first time I think I was sort of introduced to the discussion of, of gambling in a widespread, uh, widespread area, because no one in my life in my circle ever talked about it. Yeah. He was the only one to given the leash to sort of even bring it up. You know, it wasn't until the last couple of years that ESPN started scrolling lines across the bottom of the screen. And uh, when, you know, Chris Felica was doing stuff for college game day, still years and years after what Hank Goldberg was talking about uh, uh, with, with the NFL, uh, with the NFL, NFL countdown, Swami with uh, Chris Berman and uh, then this horse racing. That was, it was a really unique time when you think about how the proliferation of sports gambling has gone in the last handful of years versus the taboo thing. It was, you know, in, in the, in the darks, not long before that. Let's talk about the news story we put up of Dan Levitard sort of reacting to the death of Hank Goldberg. Uh, he acknowledged that there is no Dan Levitard show without Hank Goldberg. Totally coincidental timing that uh, Stephen Strom's podcast with Stu Gotts, where he detailed just how important Hank Goldberg was in his career, had just gone up right before Goldberg died. But, you know, Levitard made it clear there is this show does not exist without Hank Goldberg. But I think Hank Goldberg is an absolute asshole. Yeah, his words, not yours. His right. words, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and I think what's so fascinating about someone like a Hank Goldberg is that a lot of that sort of makes sense with some of the stories I sort of heard behind the scenes, right? I know people who've done radio hits with him and stuff before, and they know that he's very short and terse. And if he's going to do the hit with you, sometimes it's going to be short. Sometimes, you know, during the hit itself, he's going to be sort of a a, a jerk during it. Um, but like he, he was one of these guys that I think it was his personality, right. To sort of be a little, uh, abra abrasive, um, so to speak. And I think it's probably what made him such an icon when it comes to, especially radio, uh, down in Miami with, uh, what was his longtime tenure WQAM is that, um, it was because he was such, uh, an abrasive fella to callers, to listeners, and and to to guests, and to a lot of people, and included to Dan Lepetard, that sort of you know spurned is actually Dan Lepetard, um, his columns that got to Hank Goldberg, that got Dan Lepetard on the radio, which is always sort of fascinating to think about how that all worked if Dan if uh, if Hank Goldberg had just not cared, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that I thought about listening to that segment on the Levitard show is not necessarily about Goldberg and Levitard individually. It is more about that era of radio. And Levitard made the point that it was that era of radio in South Florida. But I, I think that is tunnel vision, man. I mean, you, you are talking about the late 90s, early 2000s, the heyday in New York of Opie and Anthony probably the Stern show the biggest it ever was at that point like mean radio was a thing back oh, sure. then 
And, you know, we, we look back on some of that stuff now and whatever you want to call it, man, cancel culture, me too, whatever the case is, that stuff doesn't fly anymore. But I also think a big part of why it doesn't fly anymore is I think, and I give our listeners a lot of credit. I think our listeners have a lot of options and I think that has made them smarter. Like, I don't think anybody believes that people behave like that anymore and they are looking for something more authentic than they might've been 20 years ago. Um, I, I think that the, that's fair because it's just easily as you could have found someone like a Hank Goldberg. If you didn't like it, you can go find a thousand other options, right, right. of stuff to listen to. And now even in to listen to, to, you know, people talk about the Dolphins, like, like uh, you know, Hank Goldberg sort of, uh, sort of rested his laurels on. I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's just that's sure. how he became sort of uh, to great prominence with uh, with Miami and with, uh, with the television networks and hell with Larry King and company. Like he became – you know, as I think it was Stu Gossett said on that uh, that podcast they did, like he became a big shot there. I, actually, I think that was Dan Levitar that said it. But yeah, like I, I think that mean radio is something that even in the markets that tolerate it the most, like the New Yorks, the Bostons, the the Miamis a little bit, I think you've seen a giant shift where like the mean can be tolerated still. And I think listeners still like it to a degree but I think it has to be in much smaller doses and much less sort of in your face. abrasive. Like I think think the great story that was told on that podcast real quick, and I'll be quick with it. Yeah. Like Stugatz mentioned that during a phone call, when Stugatz was the producer for Hank Goldberg, Hank Goldberg didn't like a caller's opinion so much that he asked (laughs) where the caller was, told him to drive into a phone pole and then tell him where that phone pole, uh, te- the telephone pole was, so he could come over there and sort of have the last images that caller see before before he died. By the way, hmm? uh, but that that was part of Hank Goldberg's thing was not the last images you see before you die. Oh yes, <laughs> before he died from that injury you just sustained because Hank Goldberg told you to sustain those injuries was of Hank Goldberg's testicles. I'm not sure that gets around on a lot of radio now, to be honest with you. All right, that's where things end this week. Thank you so much to Danny and Arky for taking the time. Don't forget, on Monday, a brand new show joins the BSM Podcast Network family, seller to seller, with our pal Jeff Caves. He will be talking about everything on the business and sales side of the media industry. You do not want to miss it. You can go ahead and subscribe to it on all the platforms right now. It's called Seller to Seller, featuring our buddy Jeff Caves. Enjoy, everybody.